to another episode of The Drop Zone. I'm your host, Jack Dalio. Uh, we experienced a brief hiatus, but we are back and better than ever for 2023. Uh, and all of the drone delivery news, the technologies, the crashes, the challenges, the good and the bad, and everything else that comes with it. Uh, but before we turn to 2023, let's talk about the end of 2022. Uh, because the past few months have been uh, a whirlwind for the industry. Uh, you know, I'll read off just a few things that have happened uh, just since November. Uh, you had Wing partner with DoorDash in Australia. Zipline launched a nationwide drone delivery network in Rwanda. Uh, Walmart and DroneUp expanded to seven states. Elroy Air topped $2 billion in purchase demand for its Chaparral aircraft. Uh, and Amazon unveiled its new drone, launched services in California and Texas, and then fired a chunk of its drone team uh, all within the span of a month. Uh, even just last week, we saw Flytrax become the fifth company in the U.S. Uh, to receive a standard Part 135 air carrier certification from the FAA. Uh, but there's one piece of news that I didn't mention, and that's because we're going to dive into it in this episode with Andreas Raptopoulos, who is the CEO and co-founder of Matternet. Uh, in November, Matternet became the first drone operator to have its drone type and production certified by the FAA. Uh, now, if you don't know what that means, you're about to find out. Uh, but suffice it to say that this is a milestone, not just for Matternet, but for the entire industry. Andreas and I also broke down the state of drone delivery regulations in the U.S. Uh, you'll hear the term BV loss or beyond visual line of sight come up a lot as we talk about how the FAA and other regulators can move the industry forward. But we also got into some of the safety and privacy concerns that have limited what they can do, what they've done so far. Uh, we actually had so much time to talk that uh, for, I think, the first time in this show's history, I didn't have time to confuse them with drone delivery patents. Uh, so if you came for that, you might be disappointed. But you're here for the rest of the show, you're in for a treat. Uh, so without further ado, here's what Andreas had to say. All right. I'm excited to welcome this month's guest. Uh, like all of my previous guests, when it comes to drones, he delivers. Uh, I've got Andreas Reptopoulos here. He's the founder and the CEO of Matternet. Thank you for being on the show this month, Andreas. Jack, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and uh, I think it's very fortunate that I managed to get you on this month because uh, Matternet just had some some big regulatory news come out a couple of months ago. But uh, before we get into the drone delivery of it all, I always like to ask my guests uh, about their origin story. Uh, you know, how did you get into drone delivery? Uh, and you've got a pretty interesting one involving uh, sound design and acoustics. Um, you know, can you walk us through what you were up to before founding Matternet and how you got into drone delivery? Yeah, yeah, very happy to. So I grew up in Athens, Greece. Uh, and, uh, you know, from a very young age, I had this uh, uh, strong desire to uh, participate in creating something that's going to be here for future generations. Uh, when I was growing up in Athens, I used to sort of uh, watch what's happening in Silicon Valley in the, you know, personal computer sort of uh, revolution that was happening in the, in the 80s. And I thought it wouldn't be amazing for me to be at the right time and place when this is happening for another technology. Um, so I grew up in, in Greece. I studied uh, mechanical engineering and aeronautics. I was very good at it, but I always wanted to be an inventor. So uh, when I uh, finished my uh, engineering studies, I went to London and uh, at an art school. And uh, 
started developing, trying to understand, you know, what does it take to really create great products and started like user-centered design and how you money engineering into it. Uh, that led me to my first invention, which became my first company. Uh, we developed these systems that, uh, to put it simply, transformed noise into music. Uh, that was pre-MP3 when, you know, working into an open plan office, um, you know, meant a lot of distraction from people talking. And uh, I created these algorithms that, uh, uh, you know, created like active noise uh, suppression systems and active masking systems. Um, that uh, I stayed engaged with that company for about 10 years. And uh, as I was uh, coming to, you know, exiting uh, that company, I uh, started asking, has something changed in technology that would allow us to build a flying car differently? So I asked this question around 2010, and I stumbled across um, the DIY movement on drones back then. And, you know, as um, you and your listeners may be aware, you know, out of the revolution that came out of these uh, tiny sensors we have on our smartphones, came a DIY movement of creating algorithms for things to self-aviate and self-navigate. Um, and there was a DIY movement in 2010-11 where people just uh, created like these very simple machines that could fly by themselves and follow GPS coordinates and so forth. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, that's going to change uh, how we move goods and how we move people around the world. Um, and um, that led me to founding Matament. In 2011, I came here to an incubator in Silicon Valley, assembled a small team, and we pursued this problem of how do we create a network for transporting matter that's built on the ideas of the internet in the architecture of the internet. So a peer-to-peer distributed bi-directional uh, network that will allow us to transport uh, small um, you know, packages uh, of matter in this case um, and, and um, perhaps uh, create the foundation for a whole new layer of uh, transportation and logistics in our world. The big driver um, you know, in my history of trying to build Matan has been to really get to that leapfrog scenario where you know, we create a, a, a new layer of transportation for goods that can help countries that never invested in road infrastructure to be able to leapfrog to this uh, type of technology with this type of technology and solve transportation problems. Um, and then also uh, for this part of the world where we do have road infrastructure that's quite developed, um, uh, you know, find a way to do to transport small packages on demand uh, way more cost efficiently and in a way that's way more friendly for the environment than what we're doing today. I often say that, you know, I just had salad for lunch and it was great. I felt great. But I still had like a two-ton car bring me that salad with all the emissions and utilization of, of road real estate that comes with that um, and the secondary sort of uh, effects that this creates for our economy. And I think it's crazy that we do this at scale. And I would like to see us create a future where when something is lightweight and time-sensitive, starting with mission-critical things in healthcare perhaps with which is what we uh, are focused on right now, all the way to e-commerce and then maybe even food delivery being serviced by this new mode of transport. Yeah, yeah. So you, you had some big dreams for this company um, about a, tech, a decade ago. It's, it's been in the works. Uh, you said you, you dreamed about being in Silicon Valley. You know, now, now you're there. You've got the company headquarters in California in the U.S. Um, and, and you've also got operations in a few other places. Uh, outside of there. Um, can you talk about some of the services that you operate, uh, where you're flying, what you're delivering? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, Matinet 
um, designs, builds, and operates drone delivery networks and all the systems that power them. So we design and build our own aircraft. Uh, we design and build the ground infrastructure that um, is quite minimal, but still exists for those uh, networks to operate. And we also design and ship our uh, cloud platform, which manages these types of networks. Um, in, we're in operational today in two countries, in Switzerland and in the US. Uh, in uh, Switzerland, we have our own small airline that operates these networks. So we go to a customer and we provide them the services, drone delivery services, uh, connecting their locations. And today we offer this to healthcare customers in Switzerland. Uh, and in the US, we partner with UPS. Um, UPS uh, operates our technology systems and our drones under their 135 operational certificate. And uh, with them, we're able to reach, um, uh, again, healthcare customers here in the US, hospitals, but also um, consumers. So uh, we also have a, an operation with UPS in Florida where um, someone can order a prescription for a C- from a CVS pharmacy and they can get it delivered via drone at, um, uh, at, at uh, their location, which is uh, a community called The Villages in Florida. So you're doing a lot more than just flying the drone. Now, you said it before, it's it's a network for matter, uh, keyword there being a network. Um, so you've also got the infrastructure in place to, to support those drones. Uh, and I want to get into that in a little bit too. Uh, but the big ticket item this month that I want to talk about and that I think uh, my listeners will be very interested in as well uh, is the production certification that you were granted in November. Uh, you're the first U.S. drone operator to get that kind of approval. Uh, but even before that, you had to get a type approval. Um, so before we talk about the production certification, can you just run through, uh, you know, the features of the M2 drone itself and the significance behind getting that type certification? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the aircraft that um, uh, got type certified, the Martinet M2 um, aircraft, is the first UAS that acquired uh, standard type certification from the FAA. Uh, it's also uh, the first, I think, electric aircraft that acquires time certification. So it's a pretty big deal. Um, and, um, you know, to date, we're the only company in the US and globally that has this type um, type certificate. Uh, the type certification means that the FAA uh, is certifying the Matinet M2 as safe and reliable to fly over people and in the national airspace system here in the US. Um, this aircraft is able to transport uh Packages of up to uh, 4.4 pounds, 2 kilograms, in distances of up to uh, 12.6 miles, which is 20 kilometers. And um, we have the technology on board to be able to fly beyond visual line of sight. Uh, we do that in Switzerland. In the US, it's more restricted currently. We do EV loss flights. Um, we have the technology on board to sense cooperating aircraft uh, through ADSB um, in, in uh, Switzerland. And then uh, this aircraft, uh, sorry, ADSB here in the US and also an equivalent sensor called FLARM in Switzerland. Um, when this aircraft is flying, it's flying fully autonomous missions. So, um, you know, we're flying on a pre-approved route uh, following GPS waypoints in a very strict geofence. We have uh, systems on board to make sure that we stay in that geofence from, a, from an air risk per- perspective. This is very important. Uh, there's also a parachute on board in the case of any malfunction. Let's say we lose a motor, or we lose a propeller, uh, there's a battery malfunction. Our parachutes will be deployed within typically three seconds, um, and the aircraft will descend to the ground uh, with uh, a terminal velocity that um, would not 
uh, cause of fatality even if the aircraft was to hit someone on the head. Um, so uh, when the aircraft is operating, it's connected to our cloud system. Um, the Matinet cloud platform um, is, um, um, you know, every uh, aircraft is transmitting live telemetry uh, back to our systems and we run real-time analysis uh, to make sure that we understand the health of the system on, on, on top of what uh, the aircraft is running by itself. Um, and then uh, when we run an operation like what we run in Switzerland and um, uh, what we're planning to run here at Skill in the US, uh, when an aircraft is flying, a mountain aircraft is flying, we have a remote operating center, we call it mission control, where we have a person called the flight director that is overseeing the airspace and the, the, the flight. And today in California, we're able at our test site to fly three aircraft uh, through a single flight director, and we have a roadmap to take us all the way to 22-1. That's quite important for drone delivery at scale. So all of those uh, features of the aircraft and the so-called associated elements uh, have been part of this initial um, you know, uh, effort to uh, go through the, this like very heavy regulatory approvals. Um, to give you a sense, um, the type certificate, uh, we've been in that process for four and a half years. Um, and, you know, it involves very, very rigorous testing, thousands of tests, very rigorous documentation. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it um, uh, allows us, I think, to comply with one of the highest aviation standards in the world. That is, um, uh, you know, the FAA standard. Now, the type certificate allows you to claim that you have a design that's safe, but then how do you produce it? Um, you need to have a production certificate that goes with that. So uh, in November, we became also the first company in America to acquire a type certificate, uh, sorry, a production certificate for a UAS. And um, uh, we have the ability to produce uh, Magnet 2 aircraft uh, according to that type certificate uh, in our facility here in Mountain View, California. Gotcha. So do you taken all of these measures, uh, included all of these features, um, you know, uh, detect and avoidance technology, uh, this cloud infrastructure that's on top of the drones helping everything run. Uh, and in the eyes of the FAA, uh, they, they see your drone as an aircraft, uh, that, that's a legal aircraft that can operate in US airspace. Um, so now with that production certification, uh, what exactly, exactly does that mean for Matternet moving forward? Uh, this is the time where we can sort of, we've been, trying to get ready for this time where we can really go after scale. Um, so, you know, we have an aircraft that has been type certified and a production certificate that uh, allows us to produce it at scale. Um, so I think uh, that married with the 135 capability that we have through UPS, and then we can also talk about the new partnership that we bring on board uh, with another operational partner. Um, we're able to do some of the most complex operations of anybody in the US. Right. And when you talk about drone delivery, it's really important that you operate long distances, either through EVLOS, extended visual line of sight, or BVLOS, which is eventually the goal, and that you're able to operate in a way that involves the least amount of humans in the operation. So you can bring uh, the costs, uh, the unit economics of, of that, of drone delivery, uh, to a place where you can compete with existing unit economics road couriers. Right. So, uh, I think this is one key milestone towards scale. Um, so with that being achieved, we're working now on some pretty um, promising, I think, um, you know, uh, a very promising rollout 
Um, and, you know, we are structuring a, a, a couple of important partnerships to allow us to really scale that technology here in the US. Um, in addition to that, we're pursuing uh, scale operations in Switzerland. Um, and uh, we're also looking at one or two other geographies where we think we can really sort of uh, show how, how a citywide network using you know, our assets could work initially to solve B2B healthcare problems, um, but uh, over time solving sort of B2C problems, including uh, home delivery of e-commerce and even food items. Yeah, yeah. So this is clearly it's a milestone for the industry. Um, you're, you're the first drone firm to get either of these approvals, the, the type certification and the production certification. But uh, I know that you're not done yet. Um, I, I want to talk about what's next for MatterNet from a regulatory standpoint. You know, do you see the company um, following the path of, you know, for example, we just had the news come out today, uh, the day we're recording, January 30th, that uh, Flytrex just got their standard Part 135 air carrier certification from the FAA. They're now the fifth company that's got that designation. Um, you know, what's next for MatterNet? Are you, do you think you're going to target uh, that kind of regulation or would you prefer to, uh, you know, work with your partners uh, get you know get your get your aircraft in the air and, and demonstrate uh, that they're viable. Excellent question. Um, our current strategy on um, you know in operating uh, our systems is to you know there's two types of operations we can carry out. Um, generally speaking, visual line of sight operations that can be carried out under 107 um, here in in um, the 107 rule here in the US. And these types of operations, we have the capability and the training programs and a long history of operating in Switzerland, and we can sort of carry them out ourselves. So, you know, we can partner with, let's say, a, uh, you know, a healthcare entity or an e-commerce entity and provide not only the technology, but also the operation under 107. Then for more complex operations that may require 135, um, we have a second operational partner that's coming on board in addition to UPS. Uh, it's the largest 135 um, operator here in the U.S. They call Ameriflight, and they are in the final sort of um, stage of their approval uh, with the FAA for adding Madrid M2 on their operational certificate. So that's one key regulatory milestone that we're looking uh, forward to, and um, you know I'm hoping it's going to be uh, really soon that we'll be talking about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Andres, I'm, I'm curious, you know, where do you stand on FAA regulations and, and their approach to regulations overall? Because I've, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of different folks within the drone industry, uh, operators, CEOs. Uh, I, I think the, the opinions are pretty mixed. You know, I've, I've heard some people say that uh, they feel the process is too slow and it's, it's hindering the industry. Uh, I've heard some folks say that uh, the, the slower pace is, is really prioritizing safety and privacy, and that's a good thing for the industry. Um, but, you know, what would you say? Are they good? Are they bad? Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to see happen in 2023? I know you mentioned BB loss, but, uh, you know, where would you, where do you stand on, on the FAA's approach to regulation? Is there anything else you'd like to see happen? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, you know, like from, from my observations uh, and our participation in the type certification process, uh, when it comes to safety, you know, it's a really clear first priority on behalf of the FAA. And I think that's really good for the ecosystem, right? We can all imagine like catastrophic scenarios happening where like the whole industry slows down to health, right? So that focus has like 
safety is the first priority. I think has is very it's very important and has to stay there. And you know the way that I've seen like our process evolve with the FAA and how the FAA sort of treats you know safety, I have like a lot of respect uh, for them and the process that they run. Uh, now, when it comes to speed, absolutely the ecosystem will benefit from you know things coming into fruition faster. You know, we talk about BV loss. Um, you know, ourselves and others, we're really hoping that we're going to see the BV loss rule, you know, already a few years ago or like being able to open these types of operations. Uh, it's easy to be critical, right? But, you know, the reality is that this is a booming space. Like, just imagine the amount of startups that were founded over the last five years in the advanced air mobility space, that includes like, um, you know, uh, transporting humans and also the drone delivery space where we play, right? And, you know, I don't think that um, the FAA has been given the resources to be able to scale with the industry, right? And that's a really hard problem that probably, you know, goes um, into, um, you know, how, uh, you know, additional resources could be unlocked through Congress and so forth. Right. Um, so, you know, we're really hoping that we're going to see, you know, the pace, um, you know, really developing, you know, picking up and uh, things developing faster in the baby loss domain, especially because, you know, in drone delivery. And I think generally in the in the drone uh, industry, that's a massive unlock. Right. This is where, you know, return becomes nonlinear uh, for using these types of systems. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's just a really fascinating predicament that uh, these regulators and that the government is in because, you know, like you said, you want the industry to move fast. Obviously, uh, U.S. regulators want the U.S. drone industry to be the biggest and the best. Uh, but if you move too fast, uh, you can get hit with lawsuits, safety concerns. Uh, people might lose confidence in a product that's not fully ready to be launched. Um, you know, this is normally the show focuses a lot more on the, on the technology behind drone delivery. But I, I do want to stay on the the regulatory side of things too, because um, you've got a unique perspective uh, as someone who operates both in the U.S. and abroad uh, in Switzerland and elsewhere. Um, can you talk a little bit about how uh, the U.S. drone delivery industry and the regulations here uh, compare to what you've seen in other countries? Um, you know, what, what other kinds of regulations have you faced, and, and, uh, and do you think that they're uh, you know better or worse than what you've encountered here? I think we've been very fortunate. Uh, Martin has been very fortunate to work in Switzerland. Um, we saw an opening there. We had, the, I think, probably informed intuition that the Swiss um, authorities and the Swiss, um, you know, Ministry of Transport was uh, interested in sort of becoming a drone pioneer um, and you know making Switzerland the drone capital of the world. And in 2017. Uh, we started executing uh, real logistic services in Switzerland. Uh, we became the first company in the world in March of 2017 to be authorized to fly over people, including densely populated areas, through the Young Visual Line of Sight flights. Uh, and uh, the framework that was developed out of the work that we've done with um, FOCA, the Federal Office of Civil Aviation, became, I think, the uh, the blueprint for the so-called SORA framework, which is Specific Operations Risk Assessment, that is currently 
you know, used in Switzerland. It has also been embraced by ASA, the European Authority, uh, for operations uh, for you know drone delivery and other drone services, um, uh, um, you know, in in Europe. So that's the other um, you know uh, regulatory regime in which we work in, and uh, the key thing I think that it allows. I mean, obviously. We started in Switzerland in 2017 and we flew BVLOS. We have been in operations in the US with UPS since 2019 and we're still not flying BVLOS. We're flying EVLOS, right? So we still haven't been able to get to that, you know, key milestone, right? So in some ways, in, in this specific way, the Swiss authorities like we're way ahead and they are still ahead today. And to the extent that this type of framework is adopted by other aviation authorities, around Europe, they are ahead of the US, right? So um, the specific operations risk assessment, the SORA framework is, I think, very smart in understanding, you know, what is the risk associated with your specific operation and then uh, coming up with the appropriate mitigations for that. Um, And what we're doing in Switzerland, you know, there's multiple layers of safety for air and ground risk that, you know, this um, SORA framework allows you to account for and apply mitigations. Um, Having said that, these type of uh, regulatory approvals are not uniformly distributed across the across Europe. So, do you think it would be fair to say that the FAA is is maybe thinking a little bit longer term than some of the authorities in Europe might be? I think, you know, my assumption for a while was that you know, for the, the FAA has a scale mindset in mind, right? They are in a scale mindset, so in some ways, like you're really thinking, okay, how is that going to work for scale? Uh, but I, I, I think, to be fair to the Europeans, I think they're also thinking long term. They're also thinking, you know, how can we enable the whole industry? Um, there's been some very interesting uh, reports coming out over the last couple of years around, uh, like, uh, the population's perception around the value of advanced air mobility and specifically drone delivery services, uh, commit the commission, I think, by the European Commission, right? So... You know, there's just a lot of work that's happening there, and I think there is a very broad understanding that this is going to be a new industry, right? And creating the frameworks to be able to, for this industry to really happen in certain countries, right, um, is really important for the economy of those countries. Um, one can also not discount the environmental benefits that will come out of drone delivery at scale, right? Um, you know, when someone gets uh, a meal on demand, here in Silicon Valley, where I'm sitting, there's a two-ton car that is bringing this, like, two-kilogram package. And that doesn't make any sense for for the environment, right? Um, So, you know, our ability to quickly move into that reality will help us dramatically reduce emissions associated with logistics. Um, So, you know, I think that there is wide understanding uh, in, in, in Europe and the U.S., and that's going to be extremely important. And I think both of these authorities, EASA and the FAA, are thinking long-term and are thinking how can they enable scale um, without compromising safety, security, privacy, quality of life. Noise is a big issue when we come through any, you know, when we think about any aircraft, right? Um, We're making, like, very positive, I think, you know, there's very positive developments around e-mobility on the ground that will reduce noise for our communities. So we need to be really sensitive on making sure that we don't introduce a new source of nuisance, right? Um, 
So, you know, these are not easy things to figure out. And they mean, there needs to be a balanced approach. But at the same time, the frameworks for, you know, real autonomous operations need to be there for the industry to, to really happen. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm interested. Do you have any uh, advice? You know, I'm, I'm not asking you to share your secrets here, but, uh, you know, advice for any, any smaller drone operators who are, are going through this process. Um, you know, is, is there something that, or is there anything that you think that they should be aware of as they um, make their way through this process? Um, as a, someone who actually builds technology, they build aircraft and manufacture aircraft. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the, <laughs> unfortunately, um, it's more of a caution rather than advice. Um, it's just really hard to develop autonomous systems. Um, you know, and I mean, that's something that we had to spend a lot of time sort of educating the industry about. Like, you know, someone sees a DJI drone operating by, you know, a consumer um, and, you know, there's, you know, one, you know, assumes that this technology is, is really easy to figure out. It's not like when you take the human out of the loop and really rely on systems to be running autonomously or with a high degree of automation, it's really, you have to think differently. Uh, you know, you have to think differently about your sensor design and your overall system engineering and, you know, your safety case and the roles that you distribute to your operation. So it's a quite a different, um, you know, um, you know, challenge. So I would say that in this space is dece deceivingly easy to get to some type of demonstration, but really difficult to get to long, sustained, robust operations. And, you know, that road is not an easy road to travel. It's, it's, it's a hard road. There's many obstacles. And, you know, you need to have like a lot of focus and discipline in that execution to be able to get on the other side. So if, if there's any advice, it's like just be prepared for that transition, right, towards autonomy. And autonomy is really where those systems, I think, shine, right? So the future has to rely on these autonomous robots being able to do jobs for us. Um, for you know these types of delivery jobs um, in in the in the sky or even on the ground, and you know it's it's hard to figure out. Uh, I think you know the price is is pretty great. Like on the other side, you know I think we have the potential to unlock something that's going to be really good for the planet and really good for many populations that are underserved. You know where we get to this uh, very attractive unit economics that um, uh, fall out of autonomy. Uh, that is that is um, when we have autonomy at scale. Yeah, you, you heard it here. The, the drone delivery industry has got a lot of glitz and glamour, but it's got that dirty underbelly. You've got to got to grind hard, right? I mean, there's maybe a hundred companies last year that had pilots. Uh, there's only five that have a uh, Part 135 air carrier certificate. There's only one that's got uh, type and production certifications. Um, so you, you heard it here. Uh, look long term. Um, Andreas, I really appreciate you sharing with us all of your drone delivery knowledge and uh, giving us the lowdown, lowdown on Matternet's new certifications and uh, educating us on what's going on uh, across the ocean over in Europe from a regulatory standpoint. Uh, thanks again for dropping in, and uh, this has been a great conversation. Jack, thank you. It was my pleasure being here. Thank you.